as as I've been doing pretty much, we're going to continue our way uh, verse by verse through the book of Exodus. And so uh, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 24, and we're really going to be starting in verse 9, but I want to just give a little bit of background as we move into Exodus chapter 24, verse 9. As we've been walking through Exodus for uh, some time now, we've been seeing how God has been giving his people his law for their lives uh, in the form of a covenant. I mean, he gave them a history lesson recounting how he had saved them from Egypt. He wanted to remind them that they owed him their very lives and their obedience. Realize God had the right to tell them not to serve other gods, not to make idols, not to dishonor his name, not to murder, steal, or break any other commandments because he's Israel's savior. And so the Israelites had to honor him as God. And this is, this is what the Bible means by a covenant. When I use that term, it's, it's a holy, a sacred relationship established by God in which God belongs to his people and his people belong to God. And then in order for any type of a covenant to be properly established, it has to be confirmed. And this is what happens at the beginning of Exodus chapter 24. You know, in chapters 20 through 23, the terms of this covenant are set forth. And now in chapter 24, the covenant is ratified. Now, remember, the Israelites have gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. And then chapter 24, it's we, we saw last time that I talked on this, where God had invited Moses to come up and meet with him. You know, and But before Moses and the elders go up the mountain, Moses confirmed God's covenant with the people. And to show how serious God is in demanding their obedience, God sealed this covenant, sealed it with blood. Moses had built an altar, and he offered burnt offerings and sacrifices on it. But remember, before any of the animals were placed on the altar for sacrifice, the blood was drained and carefully collected into some large bowls. Now, Moses took half of that blood, and he sprinkled it on the altar. And after sprinkling some of the blood on the altar, and after reading the covenant scroll to the people, remember, the people responded, we will do and obey everything that the Lord has commanded. And Moses sprinkled the blood on the people. God had Moses sprinkle the people with blood to set them apart as holy, as God's people. You know, this, this covenant was not signed with a piece of paper, but sealed in blood, which showed that the whole arrangement was a matter of life and death. Keeping the covenant would mean that life would follow. Breaking it would mean the spilling of blood and death. So the blood of the covenant held, really held the threat of divine judgment for anyone who broke God's law. But there's a flip side to that. At the same time, understand this, that the blood was a sign of God's mercy. 
God was not simply showing his people what would happen if they failed. He was showing them that there was a way to remain in his favor, even after they sinned. To, to put this another way, I mean, although the relationship God established under Moses was a legal basis, it was a covenant of grace. And that covenant of grace was shown by the sprinkling of the blood. Remember, first Moses sprinkled it on the altar of God, which was a sign that the people's sins were forgiven. Atonement had been made. God had accepted a sacrifice as payment for sin. It turned aside God's wrath. Then the blood was sprinkled on the people. And this showed that God had accepted their sacrifice and that they were now included in the covenant through the forgiveness of their sins. The blood and its benefits were applied directly to them. You see, by the blood, they were bound to keep God's law. And by that same blood, their sins were forgiven. And, and that brings us up to, up to verse 9. And if you'll just follow along in your Bibles as I read through this, starting in verse 9, it says, Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of Israel's elders, and they saw the God of Israel. Beneath his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire stone, as clear as the sky itself. God did not harm the Israelite nobles. They saw him, and they ate and drank. Now, the text here, it says, they saw God. You've got to realize something. This is, this is stunning. They looked at him. They beheld him. These men fixed their gaze on God. I mean, our understanding should really be that the only rightful attitude in the presence of God is one of terror. The only rightful attitude of a sinful person in the presence of God is terror, except for the blood of the covenant. Later on in Exodus, God said to Moses, no one may see me and live. And yet here we are told that the leaders of Israel saw God, and they lived to tell about it. I mean, what we have here, what we're reading is a miracle. It just doesn't sound like a miracle, I think, because we read over it too quickly, and because we're not reading it the right way. Understand something here. There, you notice there's, an, a, there's a phrase that follows that says, God did not harm the Israelite leaders, nobles, or leaders. It says that here in the text. Now, God certainly could have brought divine judgment on them through some display of supernatural power. But by saying this did not happen, the Bible is implying that it certainly could have and would have under normal circumstances. Israel's leaders could have been in real danger. I mean, a visual encounter with the Almighty God put them in jeopardy of sudden death. And yet the Bible indicates they did not die. See, understand that by acknowledging the danger here, 
the Bible is confirming that these men really did see God. These men of Israel are given a foretaste of what heaven is like when they're permitted this audience with the king. The grace of God mediated through the blood had given them a totally new perspective. That, that gruesome reality of shed blood had opened the door for a vision of the glory of God. You see, our, our worldview changes completely. We can see the world in a different light when we experience the blood of the covenant. Now, now what exactly did they see? Well, strangely enough, the Bible does not describe their vision of God at all. Nothing is said about his divine appearance. The Bible only mentions his surroundings, especially what was under his feet. And even that was hard to put into words. Moses says it's something like a pavement made of sapphire. Think about it. The, the Hebrew word for pavement is just referring to flooring made of brick or, or tile. And the word sapphire, it's a, it's a brilliant blue stone that is usually opaque. But on this occasion, it says it is clear as the blue sky. Now, I want to note that the text carefully avoids saying anything about the appearance of God and focuses on, on the surroundings. It's, it's very similar. It reads very similar to Ezekiel's vision of the glory of God. You know, Ezekiel kind of described it. He says, I see the shape of an expanse with the gleam of all inspiring crystal was spread out overhead. And so the expanse that Ezekiel is describing, well, it's described here in our passage like pavement. But this is extraordinary pavement because the bricks here are not made from sun-dried mud, but are clear, deep blue sapphire. Clear as the sky itself. I mean, that implies or suggests that there are no imperfections in these bricks. The whole scene is an image of the vast extent of the rule of the heavenly king whose throne is higher than the heavens and who rules over all beneath him. Now, although Ezekiel provides more detail, he does seem to have seen the same thing that Moses and the elders saw. He looked up and saw a man shining with the glory of God. And like Moses, Ezekiel struggled with what, with how to put it into words. He kept, he kept using phrases like what looked like, as if, or the appearance of, the likeness of. I mean, what he saw could not fully be explained. There's, there's no words to describe it. And maybe this is why Moses did not try to describe the appearance of God. I mean, what words would be adequate to explain such a vision? I mean, even the floor under God's feet defied description. 
I mean, you've got to imagine this was the most spectacular thing any of them had ever seen. And all Moses could say was that it was something like. So what could he say about seeing God himself? It would go beyond our limitations of human language. And, and just, a, just a thought here is that we must not go, when we think about passages like this and what the image of God must have been like, we must not go beyond the limits in Scripture to in our conceptions of what this sight might have been like. And yet at the same time, we must grasp it or understand it as a vision of God in some form that was able to display a divine nature that could be seen by the human eye. You know, nothing, nothing is said as to what form God had manifested himself. And yet Moses and the elders were able to, uh, to see God in visible form. And more than that, the Bible does not say, and we really should be careful not to speculate. You might ask, why do I make this point? Well, speculating what God looked like, doing the opposite of what Moses did, is what the ancient pagans tried to do. People like the Canaanites and the Egyptians, they were always making images of God to look at, reducing God to the form of men and beasts. And sadly, in just a few short weeks from this event, the Israelites would do the exact same thing, fashioning a God in the form of a golden calf. They were not content with being at the foot of the mountain of God and seeing his glory veiled in the clouds on the mountaintop. They wanted a God they could lay their eyes on. Rather than waiting for God to reveal himself, they wanted to see him right away. But this was not God's plan. Uh, I've heard people say, if only I could see God, then I could believe in him. You may have heard people say something similar. But these skeptics have it backwards. God has revealed enough of himself in his word and in creation for us to know him and love him. But he still has to be taken on faith. And the gift of seeing him is only given to those who believe. When it comes to religion, people often say, I have to see it to believe it. But God says, you won't see unless you believe. If you believe, then you'll see. You'll see me in the person of my son. And you'll see him when he comes in glory at the end of days. Israel's elders, I mean, they were granted this exceptional privilege of seeing the glory in advance. God gave them a sneak preview, a glimpse of his majesty. And this was to show them what it means to be saved. From a, you see, from a big picture point of view, the events in Exodus really 
tell the story of salvation. Moses and the elders started at a distance. They were separated from God by their sin. But then God invited them to come into his presence. He gave them his word. He atoned for their sin through the blood of his covenant. Then he brought them into his presence where they could gaze upon his glory. It was a foretaste of heaven. And if you, if you start seeing this, I mean, what happened to Moses and the elders is the story of our own salvation. And there was a time when we were separated from God by our sin. Like the Israelites, we were lawbreakers. But God atoned for our sin through the blood of his covenant. The blood that Jesus sprinkled on the cross. And soon, at some point, he will welcome us into his glorious presence. The longing of our hearts will be satisfied, and we will see God face to face. Well, let's continue on with the, with the passage. As we look in, in uh, Ezekiel 24 at verse 11, the last part of verse 11 says, They ate and drank. Moses, Aaron, uh, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders, they went up and saw God. It was the most glorious thing they had ever seen. I mean, to catch even a glimpse of God is to behold a beauty that is beyond imagination. And, and, and see, God, that could have been it. That could have been all that they would have ever wanted. And yet they were given an additional privilege. They saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Now, Scripture really doesn't tell us what they ate or drank. It's possible that they ate what was left over from the fellowship offerings. Maybe they shared bread and water together, but, but whatever they ate and drank, it was a meal of covenant fellowship. In those days, it was very common for people making a covenant to sit down and share a meal together afterward. Breaking bread was a symbolic act of friendship. And so Israel's leaders eating and drinking on the mountain showed that they had fellowship with God. Now there, there's, there's a flip side. In the ancient world, and even in some places today, people will not eat together unless they are friends, allies, or family. Because eating was understood to convey acceptance, to declare approval of those people that you are eating with. You see, few things show a greater sense of fellowship than sharing a meal. There's just something about eating and drinking with other people that fosters fellowship. And I'll tell you, church, oh, how I miss that right now. You know, meals have a way of bringing people together. Any gathering is more intimate when people share food. Just con consider how significant it is here that Moses and the elders ate 
and drank with God and that this happened the way it did. I mean, it was in a sense, part of a worship service. This whole that we're all talking about this, the Exodus 24, it's a, it is a covenant worship service. This worship service, it included a call to worship, the reading of God's word, a confession of faith, the sprinkling of sacrificial blood, and the whole thing concluded with a, with a meal, the sharing of food and drink that symbolized communion with God. You know, atonement had been made for their sin, and now the way was clear for them to have table fellowship. They not only saw God, but they ate and drank with him. You know, it's not clear how the Lord participated in the feast, but that he, but it was, it is clear that he was really and meaningfully present with them, celebrating the covenant bond that had come into existence. And if, if you think about it, this, this theme of eating and drinking with God really runs all the way through scripture. I, one of the earliest examples is Abraham, who welcomed a divine angel to his tent for dinner. King David wrote, you prepare a table before me. Uh, Isaiah promised that one day God would sit down with his people at a great banquet. And then Jesus came to be king. And what did he do but describe his kingdom in terms of eating and drinking? He said it's going to be like a great banquet. Many will come from the east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. There's a place for everyone at the table. He's not only the king of Israel, he's come to be king of the world. And so his covenant meal, Jesus's, isn't just for Moses and the elders anymore, or even just for the Israelites. It's for the people all over the world. I can imagine already that God is busy handing out invitations for the feast. Every time the gospel is preached, people are invited to eat and drink with God. God is getting ready to throw the last and longest banquet of all. It's what the book of Revelation calls the wedding supper of the Lamb. And the way to RSVP to respond that you're going to go to this banquet is to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. One day, God will welcome everyone who trusts in Christ to sit down at this feast that will never end. Now, this meal in Exodus 24, uh, it ended. Uh, you know, it's, it's the, it eventually came to an end. But a question that we've got to, to ask as we think about this is, what kind of a relationship do we have with God? Do we have such a close relationship that it's like sitting down to drink and eat with God? Jesus, I think, is ready to sit down with us at the table. All we have to do is put our trust and faith in him. 
Now, the, the scripture does not indicate how the meal on the mountain ended. Uh, it doesn't indicate if Moses and his men had dessert uh, or if they pronounced some kind of closing benediction or if it ended some other way. Uh, maybe they, God uh, left their presence and they realized that it was over. Anyway, uh, the, the meal ended. And so uh, it, it appears as you read through scripture that they descended the mountain once the meal was finished. And so sometime after this, God called Moses to come up to the mountain even closer. As we read on in the passage, the Lord said to Moses, this is in 2412, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay there. As I read through this passage, there, there's a few things I want to point out. Uh, one of the things uh, is what God was going to do, the intention of calling Moses to the mountain. He says, come up to the mountain so that I may give you the stone tablets with the law and commands I have written for their instruction. What was written on these tablets? You know, at the beginning of this chapter, Moses has told the people, he's told them all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. And as we've understood, the phrase commands and ordinances includes both the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. Now, however, at the end of the chapter, the wording is slightly different. God speaks of his law and commands in verse 12. And this specifically refers to the Ten Commandments. We know this because later on, Moses said, he declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on stone tablets. That comes out of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. These were the same stone tablets that Moses angrily dashed to the ground when he saw the Israelites dancing around the golden calf. And we'll eventually get to that passage in detail. And these later on, these stones would be rewritten. One thing I should point out is that there were two stone tablets. Uh, there's sometimes, I think, a, a, a confusion about this as to why there's two stone tablets. It's not because there wasn't enough room for all the commandments to be to fit on one tablet, but it's because Israel was given two complete copies. Remember the context here. God was making a covenant with his people. A covenant is a legally binding relationship, and it needs to be written down. And according to ancient custom, when you had this type of a covenant, two copies were prepared, one for each party. In this case, God allowed his people to keep both copies, two copies to remind the Israelites that they were bound to God by covenant. Well, the two tablets written in stone, uh, as it says later on in Exodus, two tablets of the testimony, stone tablets inscribed by the finger of God. 
So the words on these tablets were not words that Moses put into God's mouth. These are commands that he received directly from God. This, this is important to understand because it, it shows that law comes from God and not from man. Liberal scholars will attack the book of Exodus at exactly this point. They say that Mosaic law was collected from the wisdom of the ancient world. And if this were true, we would be free to go ahead and live any way we like because there would be no divine law for us to obey. But this is false reasoning. The law comes from God, as scripture says. And this passage that we're looking at confirms the divine authority of scripture as communicated to mere mortal men. Moses had one more thing to do before going up the mountain to meet with God. He needed to appoint someone to be in charge while he was away. So Exodus 24, 13. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and went up the mountain of God. He told the elders, Wait here for, our, for us until we return to you. Aaron and her are here with you. Whoever has a dispute should go to them. So this time going up the mountain, Moses took only one companion, Joshua. And Joshua even only went up partway the mountain. And although Joshua is a minor figure here in Exodus, he becomes more important when he leads Israel into the promised land. But this period of his life was very important. Joshua was learning valuable lessons in ministry by serving Moses in practical ways. Joshua at this time was Moses's assistant, uh, literally his minister. Uh, and on this occasion, he served as his porter. Kind of reminds me of the, the Sherpas who helped people climb Mount Everest. This is God's pattern for developing spiritual leadership. We learn to lead by serving at someone else's side. And one of a leader's important task is delegating the responsibility to others. Uh, in case there's any difficulties or disagreements, people need to know who's in charge. And the people in charge better be trustworthy. And with this in mind, when Moses went up the mountain, he appointed his brother Aaron and his friend Hur to be the leaders. At the time, it seemed like a good choice. I mean, after these men had helped defeat the Amalekites, they had helped hold up uh, Moses's hands during battle. And so Moses was leaving things in good hands, or so he thought. But unfortunately, a whole lot can go wrong in 40 days, as Moses learned when he came back down the mountain and discovered what Aaron had decided to do in his absence. But that's, that's a later message. You see, Exodus 24, to me, it's one of the most important chapters in the whole Old Testament. It lays out the biblical pattern of worship. It establishes God's covenant with his people on the basis of blood. It tells how God gave his law. 
it shows that men met God face to face and lived to tell about it. But I think the the peak, the climax of Exodus 24 is when Moses entered into God's glory. Reading at verse 15, when Moses went up the mountain, the cloud covered it. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the cloud. The appearance of the Lord's glory to the Israelites was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Moses has been getting closer and closer to God ever since the Exodus started. He met with God at the burning bush. He spoke with God on the mountain and heard his voice from the glorious cloud. With the rest of the Israelite leaders, he saw God and shared a covenant meal. Moses, the mediator, the man who represented the people of before God, and now God is inviting him, Moses, to enter God's glory. Uh, I've talked about God's glory uh, some before as we've walked through Exodus. God's glory is his reputation the majesty of who he is and what he does. It's the, it's the weight of his divine being and the, the wealth of his saving grace. God's glory was revealed in everything he did to save Israel out of Egypt. It was glorious for him to, to remember his covenant. You see, Exodus is the story of God doing one glorious thing after another. God is always glorious, and on some special occasions, he expresses his glory in visible form to help people appreciate his awesome majesty. He reveals himself in burning, dazzling light. I think this is what Exodus means when it speaks of the glory of the Lord, and God revealed his glory of uh, you know, think about the burning bush. When Moses saw those unquenchable flames, it taught him about God's self-existence and self-sufficiency. When the Israelites escaped from Egypt, God led them in a, a, a fiery pillar of cloud. And he revealed his glory when they reached God's holy mountain. Imagine the people looked up toward the top of the mountain and saw the cloud. They understood that to be the glory of God. And now Moses has disappeared into it. As the people watch the top of the mountain, now it begins to look like a consuming fire. God was there indwelling and inhabiting the cloud of his glory. Now, chapter 24 ends with this climactic moment when Moses entered God's cloud of glory. It was his unique privilege not simply to see God's glory, not to admire it from a distance, but to actually enter it. He was drawn closer and closer to the glory of God until he was finally swallowed up inside. 
Henry has had to read uh, read through all of the C.S. Lewis books, and I think he's probably read through them multiple times now. But there's a a, a passage in uh, the Last Battle by C.S. Lewis that uh, this whole scene reminds me of. You see, the book ends with the old land of Narnia passing away and all of the true Narnians entering into a new Narnia. This is kind of a picture of heaven in which the old passes away and all things become new. There's this tremendous sense of excitement in the book as the subjects of this new and glorious kingdom begin to explore. They leap over the hills. They, ca they cascade down waterfalls. Every new thing they encounter is more amazing than anything they've seen before. They don't stop. They just keep moving faster and faster. And one of the Narnians shouts out, further up and further in. And they rush off to see more wonders in this new land. No matter where they look or what they explore, the depth and the beauty of this place grows beyond comprehension and is without end. I can imagine that this was Moses' experience on Mount Sinai. He went further up and further in. God called him up the mountain. There, Moses saw God's glory, heard God's voice, ate and drank with him. He kept going further up and further in until he was finally enveloped by the radiant presence of God. You know, I said this is the story of our own salvation. God calls us to worship him, speaking to us by his word, but we're separated by sin. We have to keep our distance from God until a sacrifice of atonement is made through the blood of his covenant. Once our sins are covered, we can have fellowship with God. We sit down and feast at his banquet. But that's not all. The goal of our salvation is not just to see God and sit down with him, but to participate in his glory as well. What happened to Moses will happen to us. God has come to us in the presence of his son, Jesus Christ, who was sent to be our savior. And Jesus has come down from heaven to reveal the glory of God. The apostle John has said this. He says, we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side, has revealed him. And John was talking about Jesus, of course. His point was that Jesus reveals the glory of God in his very person. Since he was the divine son of God, he was the full expression of God's glory. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. Like the bright cloud that settled on the mountain, Jesus came down 
to reveal the glory of God. Jesus came down so that one day we could be lifted up. What happened to Moses is a picture of what will happen to everyone who comes to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Being in the presence of God, being in his dwelling in his glory is our promise, is our destiny. The Bible says, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Scripture also says, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. We will go further up and further in. And like Moses, we will be surrounded by the radiance of his glory. I know that this is so foreign to our experience that it's hard to even imagine. We live in a time, we live in a world where everything is not glorious, but inglorious. We live in a world that for all its beauty, it's marred by sin. And yes, we're reminded of this every day. It seems like in our mundane existence, we are surrounded by, I don't know, uh, we're surrounded by sin. Uh, we're surrounded by sin every turn. And even if we're not surrounded by sin, we have to continually live with the ugliness of our own sin. But there is something better in our destiny. We have been saved for the glory of God. And one day, Everyone who trusts in Christ will be lifted up into the brightness of his glory. We believe it because we have God's word on it. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. So like Moses, we will go further up and further in. Let's pray. Lord, Father, what a great privilege it is to even if it's virtually, to gather and spend time in your word. May we find peace and comfort and encouragement in your word. Give us your heart. Give us, give us, give us a heart within us, a head to, to respond to you, Father, and to follow that we may know you, that we may be your people, that you would be our God, that we would walk in a covenant relationship with you.
that as we live day in and day out, may our desire be to go further up and further in. We look forward to the day when we are surrounded by the radiance of your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, Roger, God must think it healthy for us to think about heaven. <laughs> I think so. Has anybody thought about heaven much? And if not, why not? I literally have just finished the book by Randy Alcorn on heaven. And it is, it has just been a treasure to me for him to talk about heaven. And, you know, normally if you, if you say, well, where does the Bible talk about heaven? You skip over Exodus 24, 10 and you don't realize it, but there's passages similar to that everywhere, everywhere that talk about the coming of the Lord and what it's going to be like. And they reveal to us what heaven is and what it's like. And it's just been thrilling for me to realize that this is my destiny. You know, Roger, I think you brought that out this morning. Um, but how about the rest of you? Does thinking about your destiny in heaven with Jesus, does that help you in your daily life? Does that hinder you in your daily life? How would you respond to that? You have to unmute and turn on your camera. Anybody? If it wasn't for that hope, um, it would be pretty depressing <laughs> to be here on this earth and go through all the struggles and things that we have here and um, and not have that hope that's set before us, then um, yeah, I that's what moves me forward every day, <laughs> that hope. And what would life be like for someone who didn't have that? Yeah. That's why God left us here, right? Yes. Um, to help explain these things to people that they can have that kind of hope. Anybody else? It's, it's so evident that we were not made for this world except to be ambassadors <clears throat> and that we're only passing through and I, I don't know where it is in the New Testament, but Paul is talking about how the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And for us to fix our eyes on those things, fix our eyes on Jesus, is our hope, as Carla said. This is our hope. You know, when things are going so perfectly and well in everybody's life, then they don't care to think much about heaven because it's, they almost have heaven on earth. 
But when things are difficult and you're struggling, then that's a perfect time to think about the reward of heaven and, uh, and what life would be like then. I guess I think if, if people use that expression, uh, heaven on earth, you know, there, there's, there's no comparison. There's, there's no way that people can even imagine what heaven's going to be like. And, and to even use that expression like heaven on earth as uh, I think after spending some time studying what heaven is really going to be like, you, you realize there's no way that that expression could ever encompass the glories that we would experience, uh, that we're going to experience when we get to heaven. Anyone else have a thought or question? I think of um, an old song that we sang many years ago, turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace and um i know when i really began to start thinking about heaven was when my daddy died and then when my mother died and then as as different people that i've known over the years have died you you <laughs> you begin to get a different perspective a different reality um of heaven so we are going to be in the in the very presence of Jesus, but also those people that are no longer here that have passed into glory. Um, it it just made it, it it made it at that time much more tangible for me, and it continues to every day that I walk here. And I think, you know, all other ground is sifting sand. <laughs> Where we are now, I mean, it is it is sifting sand. And, uh, and that's where the solid rock is. Thank you, Mary. <clears throat> Got a um, <clears throat> text that I get from time to time from friends that I've known all the way back in the high school. And um, one of them was talking about a number of people that we knew that um, have died. And then he was talking about, you know, as we approach the twilight of our years, and I was just thinking how sad it is when you approach that stage and you can't see eternity, that you think that this is all there is. And what and it just it just make, causes a wave of sadness to come over you to think about the blindness that encompasses all of us until God opens our eyes that you just can't see. You can talk about it, and there's a sadness to oh, I wonder what's going to happen, and maybe this and maybe that. But without an assurance, and the only way you have an assurance is if god gives you a new heart and he gives you eyes to see and and, and a spirit to, that's united with his spirit but i hear this a lot in different forms from different people when they talk about things of the past and and how much we didn't realize what was going on then and now and 
it just causes me to think about these people in government that are in the twilight of their years too and they have no clue whether they're doing good or whether they're doing evil how there are consequences and i mean there are severe and eternal consequences to so many of them and they're just completely blind and oblivious to all of it so there's a sadness to that but a great joy in realizing that god has put his hand on you and delivered you out of that So Preston, as you're in the twilight of your years. <laughs> uh, even, even the scripture, um, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I think it works out that everybody sees God at some point. Mm -hmm. Those whose hearts have been made pure by Jesus Christ, uh, they rejoice. Their, their life has been crowned and touched and blessed. But those who don't know him, they're going to see him. But it, it's so difficult to think about what their existence will be like at that point. So it's um, the word of God is like a sword, right? A double-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. Um, it, it penetrates deep within us and lets us know that God is God and we are not. <laughs> but there's, Mary, there's also another old song we used to sing called Purify My Heart, O Lord, for the pure in heart shall see God. And this is where the faith comes in. Holy Spirit, come convince my soul. Make me holy and make me whole. Just as a refrain to this message this morning, would you sing this with me? Um, go ahead and mute your microphones, but um, just as a refrain to God and, and a, a prayerful conclusion to, to what God wants to do in us today. Oh, 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 oh. 
we face the battles every day of whether we're going to trust you, whether we're going to believe in you, whether we're going to honor you, Lord, whether we're going to make your name known. Let us, let us cling to the fact, Lord, that you have promised that you are preparing an eternal dwelling place for us, just like you have prepared for yourself a dwelling place in our hearts, Lord. You have been, you're preparing a dwelling place for Lord, us in your kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven. In the new Jerusalem. And we're going to see you. In the fullness. Of the reality. And the totality of your glory Lord. We're going to see you. And it's going to put our souls. Our souls will be complete. We'll be known fully and we'll know fully Lord we'll see you face to face so Lord let us put away childish things today and cling to this hope Lord God and we ask Lord for your mercy that we might bring many many with us Lord we ask Lord your grace and your mercy Lord God to proclaim Jesus and all the things you have made known to us to proclaim it to others Yes, Lord, we're going to be judged and we're going to be criticized. We, we, we might even suffer, Father. But, Lord, it is not worth comparing to the glory of seeing you. Why would we, why would we not proclaim your name, Lord, for fear of man's rejection when we know that you've accepted us and you promised, Lord, these glorious things? Blessed be your name, Lord. Lord, thank you that you've inscribed in our heart your word that we might not forget you, that we might remember and serve you all of our days. Lord, let us go further up and further in as Roger has encouraged us, preparing for that day, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of your spirit today and of your word. Thank you, Father, that we might fellowship with one another in this, in this covenant of grace. And Lord, we just look forward to that time of celebration again when we'll meet together and we'll, we'll pray together and we'll hold hands and hug and we'll hear your word together. We'll sing and re rejoice and Lord, we'll, we'll enjoy a meal together to celebrate this covenant of grace. Hallelujah. Lord, you, you are so good to us. So Lord, we, we cast upon you all of our cares, what you have told us to do. We enter into this yoke that you have fashioned for us with Jesus, as you have instructed us to do. 
Lord, let us obey your laws and commands, these Ten Commandments. Let them be foremost in our mind and our heart, that we might have no other God before you. That we might not cling to any idol, Lord. That we would not take your name in vain. And all the rest, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we, we, we thank you for gathering us this morning. We pray these precious things in your son's precious name. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Amen. Well, let's look to you, Mary. You got anything you want to share or announcements? I do. Um, this is a big birthday and anniversary week. Tomorrow, um, the Dennis's will be celebrating their son-in-law Alex's birthday, and Alpha Dominguez also has a birthday, and the birthday of my house is tomorrow. <laughs> 19 years old tomorrow. <laughs> my Uncle John's birthday, he'll be 90. Hey, all right. Um, on Tuesday, Betty Walden's birthday, and I think Betty, at least her icon is still here. Yeah, it's flower. She's been with us. Um, yeah, the flower. And um, also Scott and Michaela, the King's daughter and son-in-law, celebrate their seventh anniversary. Wednesday is Stephanie Bueller Biddle's birthday. Thursday is Paul Dennis's birthday. Friday is Malcolm King's third birthday. And Jan, you and Lucy were walking. Are you still with us? They may still be walking. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> All right. Jan's, Thank you. Yeah. Jan's birthday is Saturday. Thank so, you. Happy birthday, Jan. Laura. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> 28. <Birthday>. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, so Jan, we'll sing happy birthday to you in a minute. And and if Betty pops in, we'll sing to her. I want to go ahead and, and make a couple of other announcements. Wednesday, of course, is prayer meeting, and we would like for you to join us at prayer meeting. And then this week, the ESL um, online classes officially start. I think they started this week, but they're in full swing next week. So I start teaching the, the music full time uh, with two or three of those classes this, this coming week. Um, this is an announcement that, that uh, Bill Etheridge called me, uh, called and, and told me, Ricky and Vicky can see. Now let that sink in. Ricky and Vicky are both blind and they can see, but it's a very interesting way that they can see. They have been able, um, when Ricky's daddy died, they were left some money. And there are these special glasses that are made in Europe. And you put the glasses on and the glasses tell you what you're seeing. Now to us, that might not be like such a big deal. To them, it is life-changing because if they drop something on the floor, they can't find it. They would have to crawl around on the floor to find it. Well, with their glasses on, they can look down and the glasses say, 
the pin is by your right foot or whatever. If there's a chair in their way, if they're walking down the street and a dog runs in front of them, they can now see through the um, amazing development of these glasses. <laughs> so that Bill was so excited, they're so excited, and I wanted to share that with y'all that they can now see. Um, also wanted, uh, I, I prayed at the beginning, but Yaping had called and said that um, COVID has hit two labs in their university. So they've locked a whole building in the university down. And um, anytime COVID hits a city, I mean, people there just go into great fear and, and terror actually. Um, but yesterday George was taking violin lessons with a little girl and the little girl's parents worked in that building. So they are very concerned in some way that, that he may have been indirectly exposed to COVID. Um, it's really interesting. They said it came in through some kind of equipment, uh, but who knows? Uh, I know China is having a new outbreak uh, in the Northern part of China. So maybe it was somebody that came down from there. Um, but she said, that would you would would I please share with the whole church to pray for them and for their university? This is right before their big uh, celebration of Spring Festival, and so people have wanted to travel to their hometowns, but it looks like they probably will not be able to do that. The university will not allow um, them to do that. Okay, so uh, another thing. Crossway has an outreach next weekend. We're doing a combination outreach in Zoom. And um, we're going to be going to Grace's house and doing some things in the yard and a place down in, in uh, Archer's Lodge. Uh, but we're also going to be doing a prayer walk um, in downtown Raleigh. And Lisa Littler is making an attempt to contact um, some of either the Supreme Court justices, um, maybe Paul Newby, or um, some of the folks in the legislature. And she's even going to contact uh, the governor and say, we've got a group of young people that would like to pray and see if any of them would meet uh, and, and let the kids directly pray, kids and adults directly pray for them. So those are three of the things. There are two other things that I would like to invite any of y'all that would like to participate in this. Um, we have a family that works with foster kids and uh, foster kids, when they go to college, oftentimes don't have basic needs like deodorant and shampoo and things that, that we would send our kids off with. Well, they don't have anybody to send them to college with those things. So this family prepares those things to send to folks in, in uh, foster care that go to college. And we also have kids in college. So one group is going to be making care packages. So if any of you all would like to be involved in that, sending snacks or um, you know, donating toward that, we would invite you to do it. And then the fifth one is, um, is one that's gonna be at, 
at my house, the location will, will come from here. One of our families that came to the Christmas banquet, a family from Morocco, um, I found out they were in an automobile accident this summer and had some pretty serious injuries. He's not able to work. Um, it's just been very difficult. So what we're gonna do is prepare a food box and actually uh, take it over to that family. Um, that they really are in a very difficult, uh, difficult place. So if any of you would like to contribute any food items or if you would like to you know, contribute a gift card or money for something, they, they would be very appreciative of any kind of help that we could give them. They came to the 2019 banquet and um, really, really precious, precious uh, Moroccan family. So those are the announcements that I've got and we need to sing to Jan. Mary, um, yes. you, you, when, you, when you said all these things, you said next weekend, but it's really two weekends. Yes, February 6th. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Thank you. It is February 6th. So if, if you've got any cans of green beans or, you know, anything that you want to donate, you well, can let me know. And I can either come pick them up or you can bring them to my house or whatever. That when you're preparing the food box for the Moroccan family? Yes, on February 6th. And also that's when the um, foster kid things and then the yard work, we have, we have five different projects because we, we tried to do locations all over the county that, that would be accessible to people in all different areas. I mean, we got kids from everywhere um, across the county and in Johnston County and Harnett County and Durham County. So, so we, we tried to have five different things in five different locations um, that, that people could choose to participate in one of those um, directly. And then in others, if they wanted to, you know, be part of giving things for other projects. And then we're also gonna have Zoom, um, hopefully before and then a follow-up after so that uh, everybody can share what kind of things the Lord did. And I would invite any of you, if you would like to participate in any of them, and especially, Pat, you might wanna join them down there for the prayer walk, <laughs> since, since you prayer walk that a lot anyway. Thank you, Mary, that sounds exciting. Hey, Mary, regarding the canned goods, I'm assuming they're uh, Muslim, is that right? They are, but they're not high practicing. Okay. So one one know. thing you probably would not want to get would be like pork and beans. Uh, right. I would stay away from anything with pork, but yeah, other thing, yeah. Um, Mary, would it be possible for you to put it in an email to the church about that date and the different ways we could participate? Um, you know, kind of like the foster care box, what kind of things maybe they suggest or for the sure. food? Like yes, food I can. For the Moroccan family, you know, where we would bring it, what date, I'm assuming all canned good, not anything perishable or 
perishable. Is it going to be delivered that day or? That day. Mm -hmm. So like meals that have been frozen, is that? that they are appreciative of anything. That would yeah. be good. Yeah. So maybe and, put in an email to all of us so we'll kind of have those details and know how to get it to you and by when. Okay, help. yeah, we can do that. The uh, the foster care thing, they are going to contact the social services this week to find out what those needs are. So after that, then I'll be able to send it out when, when they get back to me on it. The Bo Bojangles would be okay. Bojangles <laughs> gift cards would yeah, be fine. Gift cards. This, this particular family um, lives, they could walk to Bojangles from where they live in Cary. Oh man, sounds good. Do they have any houses open available near them to move into? Actually, <laughs> there are. <laughs> I went over there yes rode by yesterday to find out where their place was. It's in a anyway, yeah. Okay. Y'all ready to sing happy birthday to, to y'all? Yeah. And Betty she's there. Yeah, she disappeared for a second. Yeah. There she there is. There they are. Is, I think Betty and Daryl have had to go to Larry Hollis's house. They're helping him. Okay. So everybody today. unmute. Mary, you lead us. Okay, Jan, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you, Sarah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Jan. Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Happy birthday, Jan. Thank you. Thank you. We love it. We love it. Happy birthday, Betty. We love Happy it. Birthday. Thank Happy you. birthday, you, Betty. I'll tell Betty that we told her Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Betty. <laughs> yeah. And all you other families celebrating um, birthdays of your kids and grandkids and all, we hope that you have fun celebration time. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mary. A lot, a lot going on this week, isn't there? A lot of birthdays. A whole lot. A whole lot of anniversaries, too. Yeah. Uh, who would like to pronounce a benediction? Everybody don't volunteer at once. I will. Good, Grace. Preston, you got it? Yes. Let's pray together. The Lord bless you and keep you. <clears throat> the Lord make his face shine on your face and give you peace. Amen and amen. 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 Bill, I got a question for you. Okay. During the time you were singing, a couple of times I had a, a, a thing that's that come in, came up on my screen that says the host wants you to unmute. And so I, I didn't know why in the world you would want me to do that with everybody muted, but I went ahead and unmuted. And then a minute or two later, I did it. I muted again because I didn't know what was going on. And then maybe three or four minutes later, it came up a, a second time. And then after that, it didn't. So I don't know. I've never seen it before and I didn't know what was going on. I think Zoom just likes you, Greg. Yeah, I can understand that. that Zoom likes your voice. 
They, they think your voice yeah, is... I, 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 don't you say anything, Richard. <laughs> I've seen it where it says, you know, if you're talking or making a sound and then it says you're muted or something, just to let you know in case... But I haven't seen it where it said the host wants you to unmute. No, that, that was different. I've never seen it before. Hey, let me, let me, let me yeah. do say this about, about Zoom. It, it works much better if you download the app on your computer and run it off the app. That way you can control a lot of other things and we can do breakout rooms and you can sign up for your own breakout room and that kind of thing. Yeah, I was able to put Greg in the corner. That was nice. Yeah, you can move, move people around. around. If you want to see Galena at the top center, you can put Galena up there. You know, you can put Penny right beside her and, and Carl on the other side. You know, you have a row of women at the top and a row of men in the next row, whatever you want to do. <laughs> but if you've already downloaded the app, it's good to have it updated. Right. Yep. You need to update the app periodically because they're always making improvements and corrections and you know, working out the bugs. So, yeah, if you haven't if you haven't updated in a couple of weeks, I think they pushed out a new version uh, within the last couple of weeks. So it'd be yeah, good to check and see that you're up to date. That's their app to do. <laughs> yeah, right, I, Greg, I think I really wanted you to sing a solo during that part. Okay, everybody else mute and, and just listen. <laughs> <laughs> that message was from the heavenly host. <laughs> Well, we're from all over. <laughs> Thank you again, Roger. Uh, yes, Thanks, Roger. everyone. It's good Thank to see you. you. Bye. Bye. Great right. to see everyone. God bless. Bye-bye. Enjoy your walk, John. Bye. Bye, Henry. Bye-bye. Bye. Good to see you. Bye. Bye.